Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you may be. Scott Luton and Mary-Kate Love with you here on Supply Chain. Now, welcome to today's live stream. Mary-Kate, how you doing? Hey, doing great, Scott. Great to be here. Wonderful to have you back. I tell you, we had a great pre-show conversation. We should have started 30 minutes early yeah. talking pizza and movies and woodworking. But hey, today, Mary-Kate, for the show, great show, we're going to be dialing in on the wild world of shipping and logistics, diving into a variety of topics and offering, as always, actionable insights on things like sustainability, returns management, the power, the sheer immense power of big data when it's effectively leveraged mm -hmm. and a whole lot more. Mary-Kate should be a great show, huh? Great show. I love these topics too, because we experience them in our business, but also as a consumer too. So, you know, I kind of put on two different hats when I'm thinking about these topics. Yes, I like that. Well said. Great show. So folks, before we get started and bring on our esteemed panelists here today, two last reminders. First off, let us know what you think. Share your comments throughout this live discussion. We'll be sharing those throughout the discussion. And of course, if you enjoyed today's show, and I hope you will, be sure to share it with a friend or your network. They'll be grateful that you did. Okay, Mary-Kate, you ready to jump in? I'm ready. All right, going to get to work and welcome in our featured guest here today, John Worf, Senior Manager, Sales Engineering with EasyPost. Hey, John, how you doing? Great. How are you guys? Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Mary-Kate, we had a great time with John in the pre-show. Yep. We should have released that as a podcast, shouldn't we have? Once again, we're talking about pizza. We always are talking about pizza. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for teeing me up, uh, Mary-Kate. That's a great segue into this fun warm-up question where we want to start with the one and only John Wharf. Folks, it is National Gumdrop Day. You may have to look that up. Thank you. <laughs> Kind of think Juju Fruits from the Seinfeld episode back in the 90s. It's Pancake Week and it's Jello Week. Quite a random collection of food. There are parades everywhere, I'm assuming, celebrating those treats. So I want to ask you this, John and Mary Kate. Name your favorite, lots of flexibility today. Name your favorite candy, breakfast, or dessert item. John? Yeah, so I'm going to go breakfast because I'm a monster and I don't like candy or dessert. Um, oh my gosh. So I am a huge enjoyer of biscuits and gravy. I okay. think they are the best ever. There is a small diner in a tiny town down south in Utah called Mary's Vale, and they have a diner that does Southwest biscuits and gravy okay. with like spicy peppers in the gravy. It, it'll change your life. Marysville, Utah. Is that right? Yep. Mary's Vale. Yep. Mary's Vale. Sorry. And I know you said spicy. How about Tabasco on that B&G? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You've okay. got to add something to it. Give it a little kick. Absolutely. Okay. Mary Kate, John just made me absolutely starving. I'm going to have to step <laughs> out here in a second. I love biscuits and gravy. Uh, Mary Kate, how about you? We're talking your favorite candy, breakfast, or dessert item. So I'm going to go with also a small place by me here in Chicago on the South side called Wojo's. And okay. I get a very specific shake from there. They have, I forget how many different flavors, but it's one of those places that boasts, you know, a hundred flavors. Right. And you get chocolate, peanut butter, and hot fudge all mixed oh. together. And just that combination is truly, 
truly the best. So Wojo's in Chicago Southside is a must if you ever visit. All right, folks. Wojo's in Chicago. What's the name of the restaurant in Mary's Vale, John? It is the Prospector Cafe. (laughs) (laughs) The Prospector Cafe. Great. That's an awesome name. I'm going to go with the most boring answer here today, Mary-Kate and John, because y'all know me. I'm a big patty melt enthusiast at the one and only Waffle House. I could eat them any time of day. It doesn't really sync up with my diet as we begin the year, (laughs) but hey, uh, we'll splurge occasionally here and there. Um, All right, before we get going here, I want to say, Claudia, speaking of Chicago, one of our favorite Chicago-based leaders. Claudia, great to see you here today for your perspective. Okay, and again, we want to invite our audience there. Let us know what you think as we work our way through a variety of interesting topics, uh, showcasing John and Mary-Kate and a little bit of my expertise throughout the next hour. Okay, so John, context is really important around here, right? As we get into these these big discussions, I think having folks, giving them the ability to kind of see the world through your lens and kind of better process what you're going to be sharing, let's start, let's, let's double down on some context. So John, tell us briefly what EasyPost does and your role there. Yeah, absolutely. So EasyPost is kind of a one-stop shop for all of your shipping needs. We break it down into everything you need before you make a label, everything you need to rate shop, generate a label, and then everything that may come into play post-purchase. Everything from really, really small businesses up to the really, really big enterprise guys. And we try to consult and be a good partner and help them to make really, really good decisions. My role here is on the sales engineering side. So I get on all new prospect calls to help people really understand what products we have, how they can leverage our technology to really improve the processes that they've already got. Love that. You know, Mary-Kate, what I heard there is John and their team, big time supply chain problem solvers, Mm -hmm. making friction out of the world and making things easier to create revenue and build relationships and deliver value to the market. What'd you hear there, Mary-Kate? Yeah, I love that because I think, you know, as the supply chain becomes more and more top of mind for people, there's more and more problems to solve and you can't do it on your own, right? So partnering with a company like EasyPost seems like, you know, such a great setup. I'm with you. I'm with you. And I even have Easy in the name. I bet you'll have a lot of fun with that, John. All the time. Yeah. Okay. So as we continue offering a little more context here, and I think this is going to be a good one, especially as what you shared y'all do and, and where you spend your time. So when it comes to global supply chain. Uh, What are some of the areas that you're seeing companies and their leadership focus more on in 2024 and beyond? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the big ones is that just in logistics in general, there's always a mountain of data, but a lot of people don't know what to do with that data and how to make decisions based off of that. Another thing, kind of, you know, a hidden dirty secret that has always been in the logistics industry is the returns process and how difficult it can be and how you can lose an entire customer base if you don't have a really good process for handling returns. Uptime and reliability. I know that COVID really shook the world and there was a lot of pivoting at the last minute to try to get boxes out the door, knowing that you can do it, that you're not losing money minute after minute. Everyone's switching to omni-channel, right? I need to get stuff from a store to my warehouse, from my warehouse to my store, from the warehouse to the consumer, everything else. And then I think one of the biggest topics of 2024 and moving forward is going to be sustainability. How can we be responsible partners to the globe in what we're doing each and every day? Man, and and folks, you're in luck. We're going to be talking a lot about where these leaders are prioritizing, spending resources, investing and what the market is expecting, what customers are expecting that John touched on there. Mary-Kate, 
any of those, any of those single one-off items of John gave us a list, what sticks out the most there to you? Immediately resiliency, right? You know, just as you said, John, I think after COVID everyone, every single business has said, wow, we can't take anything for granted, right? We have to bring in new technology. Maybe we have to reshore or relocate some of our process in order to be really resilient. And then as a consumer, you know, you talked about the returns process and I'm nodding along because I'm thinking, geez, I really will only shop places where the returns process is easy and quite frankly, free for me. So I think I'm kind of the expert in consumer online shopping if if, if we need to go down that route. <laughs> hey, John, it's great to have SMEs at wherever they may be on That's these true. conversations. All right, Jana talks about sustainability, huge focus for this mm -hmm. year. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think it's been it's like a crescendo of focus. You know, it started back a couple of years. It continues growing and growing, which I think is a great thing for industry. Maybe we'll touch on what the European Union passed here recently. Uh, that's going to continue moving the needle. And Claudia, I think you said this, John, partners to the globe. Love that. I do too, Claudia. I do too. First t-shirt is there, John. War. <laughs> All right. And, and speaking, you mentioned uh, back in your answer, mountain of data. And we should just level set with folks. As John shared with us in the green room, he's based right now, he's sitting in Utah and he's got the Wasatch Mountains out the window. I bet that brings some serenity to the conversation always, doesn't it? It does. There, There is a benefit to living in a truly beautiful place. And when you just need a minute, you can just look out your window and let it carry you away. Oh, I'm jealous. Nothing. I am jealous. All right. So let's talk about struggle and the struggle bus because, you know, Supply chain is not for the faint of heart. Global business isn't for the faint of heart. It comes with plenty of challenges. And, you know, we got to lean into those challenges and fix them and keep on moving. So when it comes to shipping and logistics, John, where do you see you and your team see companies struggling time and time again? Yeah, I think a lot of times, ultimately, something that I heard a really long time ago that kind of resonated with me is shippers are really only concerned about two things, and that's cost and customer satisfaction. And it's really, really hard to balance those two things if you don't know where to start, if you don't know where your process is failing or what issues you may have with your already existing tech stack. And a lot of times there is this struggle between how do we get stuff out really fast, but how do we make sure we're not paying too much for what right. we're doing? And the only way that you can get better at it is knowing what to look for and knowing what options are there on the market for you to leverage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well said. You know, uh, what we keep in our blind spot that everyone has can be so dangerous and can really hinder us from optimizing performance, optimizing uh, how we solve the problems, how we drive the results, how we, to, your, to use your point, John, in terms of cost and CSAT, you know, how, how we can better manage these things, right? Because we all, Mary Kate, we all have blind spots. I would argue I got a bigger one than most people, but uh, your thoughts, Mary Kate. Yeah, I think, and even building on what you said in the beginning, John, about this data, so many people are collecting more and more data, but there's, you know, not really an understanding what to do with that data. So, you know, thinking about when you're trying to calculate the cost of a return, you need to have the right data. You need to be able to understand, you know, when is it worth it to make this return free or when do we make this, you know, when does the customer consume that cost? So that data is so important. 
Yeah, I think, Mary-Kate, that's a really, really interesting point because one of the things that I say all of the time is as a consumer, once again, as a shopper, if you're on a website that's providing some sort of physical good and they either offer free shipping or free returns, they've got something figured out, right? They're really tightly operating because they understand where those costs are and how to make sure that they're not going to get underwater by offering free shipping if they can't afford it. Right. Yeah. That's a great point. And that is a competitive advantage now when you're choosing where to shop is their shipping and return policy. That's right. Excellent point. And, you know, going back to several points being made here, you know, hiring team members that are able to really understand not just how to view the data, but put it to work, working with service providers and partners and suppliers and and you name it all across the ecosystem that know how to do those same things. That's where we can really have economies of scale and force multipliers to begin to move it at, at light speed. And we're going to touch on a lot of that stuff. And for folks that stick around, we've got an excellent, excellent event in March that you can take advantage of to help you there. Okay. So John, going back, you, you mentioned a lot of different areas. We should have an hour for each thing. We really need an hour for each thing, but folks, we're going to walk through five specific areas that a lot of organizations are, are trying to address, solve, fix, take advantage of, optimize, you name it. And I want to start with sustainability. John, whether it's consumers, investors, team members, you name it, sustainability is in demand. I think that's a good thing. Of course, most understand that when sustainability is done right, it also helps the bottom line financially. Your thoughts when it comes to how companies can most successfully embrace sustainable practices. John? Yeah, absolutely. So luckily, as you've all alluded to, we're now in a market that's hungry for sustainability. So there's more options now than there ever were before. One of the things that's really interesting is from the Easy Post point of view, we always have a couple different stakeholders in mind. And the two big ones that come up are shippers and consumers. And both of those two pieces really drive a lot of the decisions we make about what to make available on our platform. And we found out really, really quickly that there are, you know, historic landmark shippers that have been interested in sustainability for a really long time. And they've already been kind of playing this game all along. But what we're starting to see is a huge surge, to your point, Scott, in consumer demand for they want more sustainable options. Mm -hmm. And one of the big things that we decided to do is after trying to find like that balance between shippers and consumers, Some shippers would love to offer it, but it's an additional cost. And how do we factor it into our revenue and to what we're doing? And what we decided to do is now every single label that's generated on the EasyPost platform, we're doing it. We're offsetting the carbon for everything. Wow! And it made the decision for our shippers infinitely easier, right? Because no longer are they having to calculate what what's this going to cost me? How do I offset it with product mm-hmm. costs or anything else? And it's been really, really beneficial because we knew consumers wanted it and everybody wants it. It's a little slower for them to want to pay for it. And we right. just decided we can see the benefits. Scott, to your point, not only can it in the long run help revenue, but it's also better for all of us in the mm-hmm. long run to be more sustainably focused on what we're doing. I love that. Help the It's good for the entire ecosystem. Yeah. And we got to give the people what they want, John. I love that. Mary Kate, what'd you hear there? I love that. That's genius. You know, it's the intersection, like you said, of consumers and a, and businesses wanting the same thing. Now, they might want it for different reasons or some similar reasons too, but we know that it's going to be better for both. And okay. a concentration on that, I don't see a single company who's not focused on sustainability now. 
And it's because we all want it. Absolutely. Right. It's better for all of us. It's so better for all of us. Yeah. yeah. You know, we're right around the corner. We may already be there. Who knows? You know, I think for a long time, it was viewed as a competitive advantage and it still is in some circles, but more and more, it is an expectation, right? Yes. So I love what you are doing there, John, when it comes to enabling that out in the market. Okay. want to switch over for the second topic. We're going to be talking about returns. So according to our friends at the National Retail Federation, hey, John and the whole gang over there, total returns for 2023 industry-wide came in at $743 billion, with a B, worth of merchandise. So, John, the returns management, I believe, that's why we have dedicated so much of our platform focused on returns management leadership with our friends at RLA. It doesn't get enough attention. It really doesn't. And a lot of folks don't understand it. So I want to ask you, how can companies make the returns process more efficient and cost effective? Yeah, I think for a really, really long time, returns was almost seen as like this cost sink where mm -hmm. we don't really like returns. Obviously, it means that someone was dissatisfied from either our delivery service or the products that we provide. And it was kind of swept under the rug and it was hidden in the closet. It's something we don't like talking about. It, it's just costing us money in the long run. We'll figure it out eventually, right? Maybe one day we'll have a better plan for returns. But the market has certainly shifted. And we're starting to see that not only is, once again, based on the data that you're saying, is the industry behind returns huge, but the ability to get return customers, the ability to keep people coming through the door, returns is a giant part of that. And yep. your experience as a consumer on trying to return a product to somewhere where you bought it can make or break your loyalty to that brand forevermore. So it's really all about understanding the process and then deciding the specific way that you want to tackle returns. Yep. Do you want to assume there's always going to be a return? Do you want to make a way for them to do a return? We have all these cool new services and products. A lot of carriers now offer QR codes because very mm -hmm. few of us have printers at home. They're so back. I can just take yeah. the box, run it into FedEx. They'll scan it, make a label and get it out the door. And it, it seems like it's not just shippers and the people who are manufacturing goods that are trying to make this process better, but it's the carriers, it's the platforms. Everyone understands how important and vital a goods returns ecosystem is to all of our success moving mm -hmm. forward. Yeah, well said, John. And and one where we can, uh, hopefully the law of those goods as they're returned, they can make their way right back into the re-economy, right? Mm -hmm. And be reused. I think more and more folks are, are purchasing. I know we are here, refurbished remanufactured goods, right? Creating mm -hmm. new sectors of the economy, growing sectors, big sectors. All right. So Mary-Kate, or should I say our chief consumer and shopping <laughs> officer. You can definitely acronym. say that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And she self-identified that, yeah. right? Claudia said return policy as a new competitive advantage. I think that's something yeah. you shared earlier. Your thoughts on returns, Mary-Kate? Well, number one, I've added to that 743 billion number <laughs> as a consumer for sure. <laughs> But as John, as you were talking, I was thinking about when I make returns, which is often, I love when a company says, why are you returning it? And usually if I'm returning clothes, you know, it could be fit, quality, wasn't described. I love that because I know they're collecting data to then market the product better because they don't want returns and I don't like to return either. Right. So I love new technology. There's, you know, that true fit technology where you could say, this pair of jeans fits me from this other brand. What size should I get in this brand? That kind of stuff, I think, is decreasing returns. 
at least for me. And I hope to see more and more of that. Yep. I remember the first time I saw one of those sunglass companies where it takes like your webcam yes. and shows you what the sunglasses yep. look like on your face. <laughs> and to your point, the way that they got that information is so many people returning it saying yes. they're too small, they're too narrow, too whatever. Right. And instead of seeing that as a huge negative, they took the data and they decided to do something about it. And they've made a better customer experience as a result. Totally. Yeah. And I even wonder if it might right size, at least this is in women's clothing. I don't know if it's the same in men's, but we have this problem where you could be one size in one company and just a completely different size in another company. And maybe a store's got, or company's got away with that. But now that we're all online, it's like, I just want to know what size, you know, stop this marketing of different sizing. It's just, we need to be more uniform. So I always wonder, are we going to get to more uniform sizing across different brands because of this? Yeah. Wow. I always ask, what does slim fit mean to you? <laughs> what does that mean? Quantify, <laughs> quantify, quantify. Yeah. Uh, now, John, on that sunglass example, I thought for just a second that you're, you're throwing us back to the blue, the infamous blue blockers commercial in the early nineties. And John, you're laughing. I hope you know what I'm talking about. A lot of folks won't, but you'll have to Google it. This is one of the, the greatest infomercials ever. And then more seriously, I'm with you, Mary Kay. I hate to return anything. I mean, it, yeah. it's like, it makes my skin crawl when I have yeah. to return anything. So we'll see. I think this is a fascinating aspect, both on the consumer side, but also mm -hmm. from a practitioner perspective. All right. Speaking of, I think this is Amanda or Catherine says, what I've noticed and love on Amazon is in the product listing. They'll add a notification that says frequently returned mm -hmm. item. And then they give you options for other similar products that have low rates of returns. Awesome. Great call out there. And then Jana, going back to sustainability, the first one says it makes a great point. Displaying these sustainable efforts is just as important to our customer base and business. Jana, absolutely. I think modeling the behavior as leaders helps drive conversations and also drive the needle. That's a great comment there, Jana. Okay, next up, our third topic we want to dive into I was uh, giving you a sneak peek of where we're headed because when I think of reliability, imagine this. Let me paint this simple picture for the folks that may remember landlines. It might be hard for some folks to remember that. <laughs> imagine if our global supply chains were as, as reliable as getting dial tone when you pick up the phone. John, Mary-Kate, every time, every time you pick up that phone without fail just about, right? So let's talk about uh, supply chain reliability for a moment. Big challenge many organizations. John, you first. What are your thoughts on what performance standards and metrics are achievable and how can we best improve the performance and reliability of our supply chains? Yeah, I think one of our biggest focuses from the very beginning was the idea of a truly multi-carrier environment. And the reason for that is that we all know that carriers have downtime, whether it's scheduled or unscheduled. And then going back again to kind of the landscape that COVID created, there was a huge influx of e-commerce shippers that hadn't existed in the years before. You know, maybe they were historic brick and mortars where you had to go in in order to get service. But right. with all of the lockdowns, they realized we're not selling anything. We have to be able to sell stuff online. And a lot of even the major carriers across the U.S. started imposing limits where they'd say, we can only take 70 percent of what you've got today. Good luck with the other 30 percent. And if you were one of those shops where you've got one carrier and that's what you've used for the last 20 years, because that's what, you know, mm -hmm. grandpa used, 
<laughs> you're in a really tough spot right there. But the ability to immediately pivot and use different carriers, different service levels, different options that are available to you, all of a sudden that's no longer a worry because if any of the carriers are down, you can still get boxes out the door. You still have options at your fingertips. I know that we had looked up uh, kind of just rough estimates for these really, really big enterprise shippers and the amount of money that is just being lost for every minute they can't ship is staggering, yes. right? It is staggering. Uh, staggering like uh, Fred G. Sanford when he thought he was, <laughs> he was about to make the trip to heaven. That's what I think of whenever I hear the word stagger. But, you know, you in a bigger sense, John, Mary Kate, I'm coming to you next. He mentioned grandpop. Uh, did you hear that, Mary Kate? He mentioned yes. grandpop. It is so important in the bigger sense. We can't do business like Grandpop and Meemaw and, and all those people we love, we can't do business like that anymore. There's too big of an opportunity to do it better, right? Yeah, agree. Well, and I agree. I think that that's really important, right? Because it's not always because people have bad practices or bad processes. It might be that they don't know what's available, right? right. If, if you have this process and you've done it forever and yeah, it has its problems, but it works at the end of the day and it can be successful, you might be stuck in that rut and you're not even looking for what right. might be available that can mm -hmm. help streamline that process. Excellent point. Back to that blind spot, right? Yep. In many cases, whether they're parts of the team or leadership or you name it, wherever they're in the ecosystem, they want to succeed, right? They want to do a great job, but that blind spot, what, what they don't know can bite you to your kind of, to your point, John. Yep. Well, it's important to work with organizations that, know how to tap into innovative technology and leadership and, and can do. Mary Kate, you're going to add. Yeah. So, you know, John, as you're talking and you said, you know, the one minute there, a company is down and not able to ship. I went back to my old life and I thought, oh my God, one minute of downtime. And, you know, thinking about that part of the supply chain and how do we make manufacturing and operations more reliable and resilient. And, you know, a lot of my career was spent in companies that grew by acquisition Yes. And there has been a lot of effort to take data across all the different manufacturing locations to start to share not only parts, right, but also share their line, make sure that we're more connected so that if we've got a, a place that's gone down due to weather, that's okay. You know, our next location can take it and, you know, we can make sure that we're all sharing, which sounds so simple, but you all know how complicated that is. I do. Mary Kate, I am so glad. I almost jumped over a question I wanted to pose to John. So thank you for beep, 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 backing us up here because I want to talk about data, right? Because, you know, back in the day when big data began to emerge as a term, a lot of organizations spent a ton of money to collect it, but there wasn't nearly as many very affordable and powerful technologies to use it and drive real outcomes. All that's changed. So, John, there remains plenty, though, of untapped data in organizations and in their technology systems everywhere, your thoughts on how we can best access, translate, and use and leverage that data, not just for better visibility, which is more and more becoming table stakes these days, but even better to help power our teams with the ability to make better and more informed decisions, John. Yeah, absolutely. So 
I, I think that this is something that everybody has struggled with, right? Because the idea is we all know that we have data. We know which carriers we're using. We know which service levels we're doing. We know about the order information. Where's the origin? Where's the destination? Which warehouse is it shipping out of? Or is it not shipping out of a warehouse and it's better to ship it from the store? But the problem is, is that there's so much data, it's very easy to become paralyzed and not right. really know what secrets or what hints are hiding within the data. We really, really early on realized that there's really no point to offering software and a solution if you can't also be a partner in consulting and analytics, right? If I just say, hey, I'll ship stuff for you and it's great. And then here's a hundred, you know, line CSV about all of your data. Good luck. It's not that helpful, right? Mm -hmm. Instead, people are expecting and they really want to know what are we not seeing? What are we not doing? I'll give you the tiniest example ever. Okay. We had a customer that approached us and just wanted some insight into where delivery was bad, right? Where, where are we really not performing? And that was the initial goal. And we got there almost immediately where we could tell them, hey, yeah, here are some changes that you can make. But within the data, we also noticed that there had to be something wrong with their code. Because there was a bunch of stuff going out the door that didn't make sense. It mm. didn't fit their business model. We were able to identify that. They were able to fix it. And they were able to save mountains of money on, a, on an effort that wasn't even the exercise. It's yeah. not what we were setting out to do. But it's just the ability to look at the data and look for those outliers and know what they're telling you. Yeah. Well, so, you know, John and Mary-Kate, I probably should we should probably started with the ability to powerfully use data because mm -hmm. I think it's not a stretch for organizations that aren't, haven't figured that out yet. Right. And their teams and a better decision-making and being able to mine all of that data they've got at their fingertips. In many cases, you can't optimize your approach to sustainability. You're not going to be able to optimize your approach to returns management. You're not going to be able to reach that supply chain reliability that we were talking about earlier even if you can't quite get to as reliable as Dow Tone. But hey, if you get almost there, that's pretty good. Mary-Kate, speak to that. You were just talking about your journey, yeah. some of the powerful Eureka moments. Speak to that if you would. Yeah, no, the, the data is a must, right? Getting the right data, making sure that the data is accurate. Like John just said, I'm not going to lie to you. It's not always the most fun exercise, right? <laughs> to, to go through your data, to put it all in a data lake. But in order to make these improvements, it's you know, I've never been on any technology project that didn't start with data, right? It's an absolute must. That's right. That yeah, even right. speaking outside of our experience, one of the most interesting things that I ever read about is they were talking about the single biggest decrease to auto insurance that the U.S. had ever seen, right? Okay. What caused the single biggest decrease to premiums for auto insurance was your ability to compare one brand against another. Yeah. And it created this ability for it put the power in the consumer seat to say, I'm going to find what's best for me yeah. and pay what I want to pay to get my coverage. That same exercise is true for every industry, including logistics. The more comparison points you have, the better it is for you, the better it is for your customer and everyone else along your entire tech stack, your entire supply chain management you know, system. It's better for all of us to know what to look for and what actions to perform once we see the data. Yeah. Preach. Preach, John. I love, I love that. Him. Man, who doesn't want to sit down and, and grab a beer or a cup of coffee with John and talk shop? This is good stuff. Okay. And by the way, Peter Bole, all night and all day. Great to see you via YouTube. Hope you're doing well up in Canada. A good people here. 
Okay. So I want to go back to something that must be said whenever we say data lake, that old adage, it oftentimes it becomes the data bog. A lot of people say data swamp. That's I'm trying to get a little more unique, but uh, that's why you've got to have great people like John and the team at Easy Post to help make this truly easier, right? So you can drive change faster and get results faster. Okay. So let's talk. We're getting back closer to the consumer side. One of our, my favorite things to talk about, omni-channel. Mm-hmm. So John, here in 2024, tell us in your view, how important is omni-channel fulfillment and how are you co- seeing companies truly optimize their approach there? Yeah, I I think once again, it's a slow shift from the old way that things were done into a new approach, into new, better ways to save money, improve customer experience, and to understand what you're doing a lot better. Um, Back in the day, you had one warehouse, it was located somewhere in the world, and that's where you shipped everything from, and, and it worked. But now there are so many companies that they have multiple warehouses, multiple distribution centers, and they also have storefronts. And then they also may have partners that are storing, you know, inventory for them and whatever. And the ability to look at your entire landscape and see what is the best choice to make when a consumer orders something, what's the closest store to them? Do they have it in stock? Let's ship it from there because it'll save us all money. And it'll get to the customer way faster. If you have someone in California who orders a t-shirt, you don't want to ship it out of your warehouse in Maine. It's not going to be a good experience for anyone. It's going to be expensive. It's going to be slow. And I think more people are understanding that you don't have to have these gigantic, huge warehouses spread across you know, the globe. And instead, what you can have is a bunch of different partners and smaller spaces and Utilize your storefronts, utilize your web presence, utilize everything in order to not only make your life easier, but to keep your customers happier. Yes, John. Or here's a here's a delightful notion. Maybe we should plan our network strategy rather than just getting stuff out the door. Maybe that's a that's a thought. Mary Kate, what'd you hear there? I love this. And I was thinking about, you know, we're used to brands starting in storefront and then going online. And now we're seeing a little bit of a flip, right? You're starting online and then, you know, should you make it, you usually set up a couple storefronts, right? I'm talking mostly, I guess, about B2C here, but I love that because I shop almost exclusively online. But, you know, if I'm downtown in Chicago, I just recently went to New York. I'll say, hey, there's a brand that I always buy from, I'm absolutely going in store and I'm going to try out different products. I'm going to see different things. And it makes me happy that they've invested the money in a storefront so I can still have that experience, right? Yeah, it creates this really beautiful cyclical environment, right? Where you get a really good relationship with a brand through their online presence. You really like the products that they make. But at the end of the day, when you're online shopping, you're going for a specific purpose. I'm looking for sunglasses. Right. I'm going to go browse what sunglasses they have. But then you're waltzing through New York. They have a storefront. Yep. What else do they make? What else mm. am I interested exactly. in? And it can really just create this constant drive back to you, back to your brand, yeah. to what you can offer to people. Yeah, it allows you to browse the brand a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. You know, one of my favorite components of having conversations like this one here is as practitioners, we're still consumers. And I think some of the most powerful lessons you can learn is through your consumer lens as you're out interacting and and having those experiences and purchasing stuff. There are lessons for days to be had that we can then bring into our supply chains, our operations, you name it. It's uh, one of my favorite parts of the business world to study. And And it's universal. Who isn't a consumer? Right. Okay. And hey, Bill Stankevich down there in Savannah, which is an outstanding logistics mecca. He's here. 
16 students oh, cool. watching John, Mary, Kate, and Scott. Hey, well, good afternoon to all of y'all, you future supply chain leaders of the now generation. Great to see you and Bill. You got to tell pleasure. those students at the end about National Supply Chain Day. Yes, we absolutely do. Absolutely do. Peter says, fun conversation. I just had one with a colleague about setting up a seasonal station operation. Set, try to say that seven times fast for startup <laughs> and closure, different needs, but the same challenge. Yeah. Challenges yeah. abound. John? I just think that, yeah, sometimes the solutions that people come up with even shock me, right? Like, let's set up a temporary pop-up warehouse in a location during peak so that we can service our customers better. And it's, yeah, that's not the way it's ever been done. But why not? If you right. have the ability and the technology, do it. Right. And, and, and of course, you're talking about the operational side. How about the more of the entrepreneurial side? I uh, can't remember the name of the Halloween costume costume company, but they move into these strip uh, malls that are abandoned in many yeah. cases across the country, set up shop for a few weeks or whatever, make millions of dollars. Yeah. Right. Uh, and that's, that's their whole business model. I love that. The innovational yeah. thinking, Mary Kate. Yeah. I love that. We just had one pop up a few blocks away from us and we're all like, Makes sense, right? It's Spirit Halloween coming in for shop, but it, you know you like to see that because they're using a space that is no longer used. Right, that is right. And you know to do that, whether on the operational side or the entrepreneurial side or leadership in general, you got to think differently. You got to partner with organizations out there that are bringing innovative practices to the table with a proven track record. It's really, really important. And John, we've had a lot of those conversations in, in the prep show and leading up here, a lot of cool things you and the Easy Post team are doing. You know, I think as you describe various situations, including the one that brought millions of dollars to the bottom line, you know, whether folks want to better tackle returns or sustainability or just get better at, at executing and using and, and putting that data, there are mountains of data, kind of like the Wasatch, Wasatch Mountains of data to work for them. When you think about where do folks get started, that universal question, what would yeah. be your response to that, John? Yeah, Scott, I think you kind of hit the, the nail on the head. We work in an industry that is literally packed with really talented, really motivated individuals who know what they're talking about. And they've kind of been through the ringer and they, they've already solved these problems. So I would say the first step is realizing that you're not the first person to have these problems. They've been experienced before. As, you know, obviously part of the sales organization now with EasyPost, I hear the same problems over and over and over and over again that are echoed amongst a whole litany of different types of, you know, customers, whether yeah. they're, you know, SMBs, they're 3PLs or whatever. So I think the first step is just admitting that you might need some help. Like I very first said earlier on, we realized really, really quickly that just providing a service doesn't really cut it anymore. And instead, we have to be consultants. We have yep. to be willing to dig into things with our customers and really get to the root of where the issues are and how to solve them. So I think it's A, admitting you have a problem and realizing there's nothing wrong with that. And then B, reaching out to organizations who know how to solve these problems yeah. for you. Reach out to good partners who are going to work with you and they're going to understand your process and they're not going to nickel and dime you. They're not going to try to charge you out the ear for, for some of these services because at the end of the day, a good partner should want you to grow. And that's mm -hmm. one of our biggest goals here at EasyPost is we want every single customer we help 
to grow and to expand and to be successful because their success is our success and we can share in it and we're all happier as a result. Love that. And my hunch, John, my hunch, Mary Kate, as it relates to John and his team is they aren't quick to say no to the, what if we did this or what if we did that? They lean into how we can do things differently. Your thoughts, Mary Kate. I think everyone has to be great at partnering with external organizations now because there's absolutely no way that you can be an expert at all of these things and everything, you know, is changing. Our technology is constantly changing. So being able to see and recognize problems or areas for improvement and saying, hey, we're going to work with this company for this one. We're going to work with that company and here's how we manage it. I think that's a must. And yep. Every company needs to be doing that today. Amen. Hallelujah. Say it louder for the folks in the back, <laughs> Mary Kate. All right. A couple of quick comments here before we share a really neat resource. PB says, that's, that's gold, John. You got to look at the total cost of ownership. And if you do that, you know, it doesn't have you shut down all these ideas better. You can think more broadly and get more creative. Excellent point, Peter. Claudia says, collaboration is key. It's an obvious competency, but not an easy one to pull off. Mm -hmm. That's right, Claudia. Easier said than done. And mm -hmm. done, especially if you talk about done in a way where all parties equally benefit or, or, or well benefit. Excellent point. And one final one. This We all need to put this in practice. Peter says, 45 years into my career, still learning new things on a daily basis. And that goes back to John's point a minute ago. You got to be open-minded enough. All of us are charged to be open-minded enough to learn those new things and to look at the world differently and, and get well beyond how we've been doing things for 45 years or 15 mm -hmm. years or, or maybe 15 months at this rate. Okay. So John and Mary Kate, I hate that our conversation's almost over. John, let me, before we share this, this really cool session coming up in March, my other hunch, and I think I'm four for four today. Other <laughs> hunch is I bet you love to sit down and talk with folks, even if they don't work with you and the team, they might work with you, you and the team down the road, or maybe they already are. I bet you love talking shop, talking problems, and brainstorming ways that, that folks can tackle these hurdles in their organizations. How can folks connect with you, John? Yeah, I think the two easiest ways are obviously just reaching out to sales at easypost.com. That's kind of watched and maintained by our very, very talented sales team, as well as the technical team that I oversee. Go to easypost.com. We have all of our documentation online, really good one-pagers about all of the products and services that we offer. Maybe something you key into and you really want to do it, or reach out to me directly on LinkedIn. I, I got a very, very unique last name, so I'm easy to find. <laughs> I love that. So we dropped that email right there in the chat. You're one click away, uh, maybe with email, maybe two clicks away to connect with the team, connect with John on LinkedIn as well, and really lean into the really cool things they are doing. And as Bill says, hey, some CEOs are old school and wary, worry uh, to collaborate. In fact, they don't want to collaborate. I think someone will steal their customers. That's right. Uh, you can't ever make assumptions that things ain't going to change. And if you keep doing things the same way you've been doing things, the customers aren't going to find new ways and new value. That's a great point there, Bill. We can't sit on our laurels for a second. Okay. Mary Kate and John or Mary Kate, rather, we get to have John back with us in March. And I think yeah. I've got a, a graphic here. I want to share with folks because the next session, our next fireside conversation with John Wharf sounds very dramatic. Doesn't it? It's going to be a webinar. So, folks, you got to register for this next one. But we're going to dive into a neat conversation on March 6th. And as we talk about proven 
best practices for embracing data-driven decision-making in logistics. And one of my favorite parts of this, one of my favorite parts of John's approach, clearly, is he's very practical. He's innovative. He's fun to talk to. And we didn't even get into some of the things, ways that he enjoys his downtime, which is really cool. But he's very practical. And we need lots of practicality in today's world. We're going to be diving into practical steps to putting your data to work for you and your team, making life easier for them, making it easier for them to be successful. And we're going to give an example or two of how a data first strategy, get this, can deliver millions, yes, millions to the bottom line. So March 6th at 12 noon Eastern time, we're going to drop the link in the chat. Y'all join us for that. So John, got to ask you in 45 seconds or less, what's one reason beyond you talking about biscuits and gravy or some other food, delicious food stuff on this <laughs> webinar. What's one of the reason folks got to come join us on the 6th of March? Yeah, no, I think that that's easy. It's really easy to talk about all this stuff at a high level. We can all do it and we've all done it many times, but let's drill in. Let's talk about the actual ways that you can make this work for you today and into yes. the future. Because it kind of like you said earlier, Scott, it's really easy to say stuff. It's not always easy to put it into practice. Well, said and we have an opportunity to do it well done and that's the important uh, who's got time raise your hand if you've got time for lip service leadership these days and ain't nobody right so i just shared the link to that webinar come join us come join us it's free to register and i promise you it's going to be a great conversation mary kate whether you want to touch on one of those last things that john just mentioned about the value of this discussion we're going to be having in march or if you want to look past over the last 47 minutes where John brought this truckload of brilliance to us and our global audience, what's what's one key takeaway that folks got to keep front and center? Well, I love that we talked about, you know, how you're not in this alone, that there is camaraderie here, right? I think that's one of the great things about what supply chain now, quite frankly, is we get to talk about problems that the majority of you all are experiencing but what I love about this is, you know, especially in our next webinar, too, we'll be diving deep into how you solve those problems. So join the webinar, continue to connect with one another through our channels. And I think that camaraderie is really important. Excellent point. Yeah. You know, that camaraderie, those conversations, the breaking the bread, that's how we eliminate the blind spot, right? Mm -hmm. That's how we, we reach different ideas and tools and solutions that we can bring to bear to make life easier for your team members and better for your customers, your suppliers, the whole ecosystem. And if that ain't the name of the game, I don't know what is Mary Kate and John. Okay. So before we reinforce a couple of quick things, Claudia says, adding to Bill's point on collaboration, have a discussion about exit strategies while you're in good terms with your partners. Don't wait until issues come up. Claudia, that is a million dollar or more inflation billion dollar piece of advice there claudia all right john and mary kate quick reminders for everybody out there first off make sure you connect with john with him and his team we drop links to that we drop a link in the webinar come on out and join us bring your ideas and your perspective we make our webinars very interactive as well mary kate had a very vibrant we had a very vibrant webinar just yesterday lots of tons of of mm -hmm. comments from the audience and john Folks got to take one thing that you and Mary Kate said here today or any of the comments and put it into practice, right? It's about doing, not just saying, right? Deeds, not words. John, you're nodding your head. You subscribe to that belief in life, right? A hundred percent. Yep. I, 
I, I think that we have all had experiences with people who are very good at talking and very bad at delivering, and it gets real old real fast. <laughs> it does. Mary Kate, you're smiling about that too. Yes. We've all been there, right? Yep. We've all been there. Unfortunately, yes. All right, folks, but there's a better way. There's so many better ways if you go looking for it, whether you sit in on these conversations here. Oh, by the way, speaking of, mark your calendar because National Supply Chain Day is coming up in April. Mary Kate, what's the date? April 29th. It's a Monday. So we are going to have a great time celebrating the supply chain, the people in supply chain, and just talking about the future of supply chain. So make sure to join us on April 29th. That's right. John Worf with Easy Post. Delightful time here today. Had a really, I really enjoy your approach. And my hunch also, I think this is number six. I don't know why I'm embracing that word so much here today. But I bet you're just like this in person when you sit down at an event or a lunch. I bet you you clearly have a passion for what you do, John. I do. I And I love people. I love hearing about experience and what people go through and, 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 you know, kind of their practices and what they think is best and everything like that. Because a lot of times, you know, a term that we throw around in the industry is a subject matter expert. Yes. Well, the, the SMEs that I trust the most are the ones who realize they still have stuff to learn. Yeah. And I think that we can all take something from that. Well said. That self-awareness is so important. If, you ha- if you're ever spending time with somebody that says they have all the answers, mm-hmm. there's only one thing to do, and that is run in a different direction, <laughs> okay? Whatever whatever y'all might be, thanks, everybody, for tuning in today. Big thanks to John and the team over at Easy Post. Make sure you connect with John, <clears throat> lean into John, their thinking, their innovation, that what they're doing, really important. Join us on March 6th for the webinar. Join us in April, April 22nd, right, Mary-Kate? Yep, April 29th. Oh, my bad. April 29th. That's going to be, I'm going to imprint that here. (laughs) National Supply Chain Day, where we celebrate the industry. But whatever you do, most importantly here today, folks, take something, take one thing, one idea that John brought here today, put it into action. Your team will appreciate it. I promise you. Deeds, not words. That's what it's all about. On behalf of the whole team, Mary-Kate, thanks for being here today, by the way. Thanks for having me. You bet. And to Claudia and Jana and Bill and all the folks that, that tuned in, though we couldn't hit everybody's question and comment. Thank you for being here. But whatever you do, on behalf of the, the entire team here at Supply Chain Now, Scott Luton challenging you to do good, to give forward, and to be the change. And we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. Check out all of our programming at SupplyChainNow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.